0: Hello, and welcome to AJC's Passport, a weekly podcast where we travel through political events, the people driving them, and what it all means for the Jewish community. I'm your host, Sefi Kogan. In 2009, Iranians took to the streets protesting the results of that year's presidential election. The so-called Green Revolution was quickly and brutally quashed by the regime. In recent weeks, Iranians are protesting again. To learn more, we'll turn first to Daniel Schwamenthal, director of AJC's Brussels-based Transatlantic Institute, to hear how Europe is responding to these new protests. Daniel, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me on your show. We'd love it if you could just briefly explain what the Transatlantic Institute is and what kind of work you do in Europe.
1: Right. The uh, Transatlantic Institute is basically AJC's EU office. We are engaging EU institutions, the European Parliament, the Council, the Commission, the External Action Service, which is basically the EU's foreign uh, ministry, uh, in an attempt to advance uh, AJC's overall advocacy goals, primarily um, advancing better EU-Israel relations, but also, of course, advancing transatlantic relations, to name just two.
0: Terrific. So, you then are perfectly situated to tell us a bit more about the European outlook. Why are the Europeans so silent on the Iran protests?
1: There are a number of reasons. One can only speculate, of course, there's no official answer to this. Nobody comes out and says, we are uh, relatively quiet on Iran. I think a lot has to do with the nuclear deal which the new U.S. administration has heavily criticized and considers as uh, deeply flawed and even threatened to uh, tear apart, whereas in in Europe it is considered a diplomatic masterstroke. And a lot of political capital has been uh, invested in preserving this deal. So I think one of the main reasons why Europeans are so cautious in condemning The crackdown on the protesters is that they are worried, perhaps, that this could lead somehow to a breakup of the nuclear deal. So that would be one of the main reasons, in my view.
0: Daniel, aside from the nuclear deal, what's the nature of the EU's relationship with Iran? Certainly, they participated in the sanctions prior to the nuclear deal and the remaining sanctions as well. Do they have economic ties? Do they have cultural connections with the Islamic Republic?
1: Yes. Most uh, EU member states have full-fledged diplomatic relations with Iran. And before the great wave of uh, sanctions, the EU was Iran's most important uh, trading partner. In 2012, the EU, though, uh, finally implemented some very tough sanctions mainly on Iran's oil and gas sector, which uh, helped and, and was crucial in bringing Iran to the negotiating table. But of course, following the agreement on Iran's nuclear program, the sanctions have been lifted, and a lot of European companies have tried to come back to Iran, but it hasn't yet quite reached the level of the pre sanction trading system between Iran and the EU. A lot also has to do that with the fact that many European banks are still kind of cautious in, in getting back into the system, also worried about still potentially running into problems with new US sanctions, but also fact of the matter is that Iran is a very difficult business part. There's a lot of corruption and mismanagement, and so the idea that there's this great economic bonanza waiting for European companies is not necessarily true. But there have been some pretty big deals that have been implemented, but it's still not at the level before sanctions, and and it's not
0: what people have had hoped for. Well, let me ask if there hasn't been this economic Bonanza, And if there are voices on the world stage, certainly American voices speaking out in support of the protesters in opposition to a government crackdown, why does it matter if Europe speaks up?
1: First of all, whether justified or not, Europe is still seen by many around the world as sort of the moral litmus test. And so uh, for Europe to add very strongly its voice to the condemnation is is quite important. And and we know from Iranian dissidents and we know from similar cases in the Soviet Union and so forth that this strong moral and, and, and even just rhetorical support from the West is extremely important for these people. To know that they are not alone, to know that they are not ignored and that their suffering is is recognized is uh, tremendously important for them to have hope and, and to carry on with their incredibly dangerous task. But also because Europe still has these economic and diplomatic relations with Iran, it has potentially also quite some leverage and could do even more than just lending rhetorical support, but actually adding much more protection for the demonstrators and protesters. Simple things such as documenting their names of people who have been killed or arrested and publishing them and documenting and publishing the names of those who are directly responsible for this crackdown. And again, sanctioning those people, letting the regime know that there are going to be very concrete, painful consequences for the reactions, in my view, will have a much bigger chance of perhaps softening their response and making them think twice before cracking down harshly than, you know, a reaction that is rather muted as we have seen so far from Europe,
0: unfortunately. Is there anyone who has spoken up in a manner that we feel sufficient in Europe?
1: Definitely not really. There is sort of a broad consensus to be more cautious, to engage the so-called moderates. There is, as much of Europe still clings to the belief that one can divide the regime between so-called moderates, such as President Rouhani and Foreign Minister Zarif, and the so-called hardliners, when, you know, as a matter of fact, Either Rouhani is incapable or unwilling to really effect any change. He has been in power for five years, and we know that. And you know, the, the evidence is out that on any measurable metrics uh, we can apply, be it internal oppression or external aggression, things have only gotten worse. But still, Europe clings to that belief that one has to engage these moderates in an attempt to reform the system from within, despite all evidence to the contrary. And, and so there isn't really in the political leadership that stands out and diverts so far uh, from this consensus.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. I know that you and your team are hard at work in Brussels making the case for that. My pleasure. Take care. We are so glad to have with us today Saba Sumeh, the assistant director responsible for interreligious and intercommunity affairs in our Los Angeles office. Saba, why don't you tell us a bit about your role and about what qualifies you to speak uh, about the uh, Iranian diaspora's perspective on things in Iran?
2: Great. Thank you, Safi, for having me. So I'm the assistant director of intercommunity and interreligious affairs at AJC Los Angeles. My expertise is on the Middle East and religious studies. I am also a lecturer at UCLA where I teach religious studies and Middle Eastern history courses. And also, I'm an Iranian Jew myself. I was born in the country, and my family left right before the revolution.
0: Before we dive into what's going on now, can we actually flip the calendar back to 2009? And I'd love to hear from your perspective. I know it's recent history, but but some of the history of how the Iranian diaspora responded to those 2009 protests, the so-called Green Revolution.
2: That's a great question, Stephanie. And we really do see the difference then. And I thought specifically, I always use my classes at UCLA kind of as a... As an example of the bigger picture that's taking place in Los Angeles. As you know, Los Angeles has the largest Iranian diaspora outside of, obviously outside of Iran. And there's a large Iranian community to the point where the area near UCLA, which is called Westwood, is called Tehrangelis. That's how many Iranians are here, both Iranian Jewish, secular Muslims, religious Muslims. And of course, we have Iranian Baha'is, Zoroastrians, Armenian Christians, Assyrians. So it's a very large group. And the diaspora is really concentrated mostly in Los Angeles. What you see is with the Green Movement of 2009, and I hate to put it in this context, but for Iranian Jews, we left that country, and we don't have the luxury of going back. Now, in Iran, it is not illegal to be Jewish. It is illegal to be a Zionist. However, the country took everyone's money, everyone's home, everyone's business when we left, when a lot of people escaped. And not just the Jews. Anyone who left, the, their, everything was given to the government. And so in order for Iranian Jews to not come back and want to take their property or their businesses, the Iranian government could label you as a Zionist as soon as you go in there, and then you're sent off to Ivan prison and no one ever hears from you again. So what we see is that a lot of Iranian Jews do not go back. They're too fearful of going back. Whether or not that is legitimate, because I have had my Iranian secular Muslim students say, no, Professor, just go back. It's not a big deal. No one will do anything. You just never want to take that risk. We risked our lives to leave and to have this wonderful life in Los Angeles or in America. So no one wants to take that risk to go back. However... For my secular Muslim students, who are secular but still have family there, where a lot of Iranian Jews don't have anyone left, they go back all the time. So they feel a very strong connection to the country, maybe not to the regime, but to the country. So for them, the country is very important, where for Iranian Jews—and I've written about this— I think the new country that has taken significance for them, of course, it's America, but it's really Israel. So during the 2009 Green Movement, you had a lot of Iranians going to the Los Angeles Federal Building to protest, and there were hundreds of people there. And I remember my secular Muslim students saying to me, is it okay if we don't come to class on Tuesday because we're going to be at the Federal Building? And I said, absolutely, you guys should go. And then they turned around, I mean, there was a class of maybe 60, they turned around to my Iranian Jewish students, who probably made up 40, you know, 50%, 60% of the class, and they said, "'How come you guys aren't coming with us? How come you don't care about what's going on in Iran?' And we had to say to them, because no matter if it's Mosavi or if, if it's Ahmadinejad, nothing is going to change in Iran for the Jews or for the Jews in the diaspora out of Iran. We know that, that we will never have the opportunity to go back as long as it's the Islamic Republic of Iran. We know that it's not a place that is hospitable to Jews. So honestly, whoever becomes the president isn't going to affect us.
0: Well, so is there a sense of hopefulness around the protests that are going on now?
2: you know that's a great question this these riots and these protests are different than 2009 in so many ways while the riots in 2009 were bigger these appear to be more widespread and what's even more shocking is that it's being led in the rural provinces amongst people who are traditionally more sympathetic to the regime. I reached out to some of my contacts, i.e. my friends, who are literally living in Iran right now, and they live in Tehran. One, it has been impossible to get a hold of them. As you could understand, all the Internet, everything has just been basically taken down. I was able to reach one of my friends through WhatsApp, And he said, look, in Tehran, we didn't even know this was happening because it started, you know, we heard through word of mouth because by the time it got to us, the Internet was shut down. And what's shocking is that it's happening in the rural provinces amongst people who most likely are the ones who've always supported the Ayatollahs and the regime. Now, that being said... What we saw in 2009 and the brutality of 2009, and again, I I want to hesitate to speak on behalf of this whole massive Iranian Jewish or Iranian community, because we're not in a homogenous whole. But for for the most part, most people don't think that this is going to make a difference. We hope and we pray that it does, but we also know how brutal the regime is. We saw it in 2009, we've already had 21 people who have been killed in these riots. I would like to think that it would make a difference, but, and I don't think it, it will not because of the will of the people. I think it will not because how brutal the regime can be in regards to holding its power. And the people who are cracking down are coming from the Revolutionary Guards and the besiege, and their livelihood is dependent on the regime. So in a delusional, hopeful way, I would like to think it makes a difference. I don't think I will see this you know, regime ever collapse within my lifetime.
0: Well, we certainly hope that matters will develop such that we will move toward a new dawn in Iran. Uh, One thing I just want to dive into a bit more, and, and I think this will be my last question, as a scholar of religion and of communities, can you tell us a little bit about the relationship between the Iranian Jewish community and the other Iranian communities?
2: Sure, absolutely. It is an amazing community over here. It's, again, as I mentioned, it's the largest in the diaspora, So, for example, when UCLA puts together this massive two-day celebration for Nowruz, the Iranian New Year that takes place on March 21st, the first day of spring, you will see every Iranian, Baha'is, Jews, Muslims, Christians, Zoroastrians who will attend and really celebrate together. You see this at... The restaurants, of course, the non-kosher restaurants that everyone goes to, the Chelo Kabab restaurants all over West Los Angeles, you will see this at a lot of the music venues and music and poetry are so important to the Iranian culture. And so this is where you do see a lot of the support. Where have we seen the support come together again? Recently with the Trump ban, because this really affects everyone. And Iranians, whatever religious tradition they come from, felt really sad and angry about this because they truly believe that this was just separating families and this was punishing people who had nothing to do with the regime. So in a lot of ways, this has brought the cohesiveness of the community together. This, what is going on right now with the riots, is also bringing the cohesiveness of the community together. On Sunday at 1 p.m. at the federal building, I have seen this all over Facebook, all over social networks. Everyone's coming to the federal building to show support for Iran. So what we're seeing is that while maybe Iranian Jews might not feel a closeness, obviously, to the government, they definitely feel a closeness to the people of Iran. And just seeing them suffer in that way and seeing what's going on in the crackdown just breaks everyone's heart, and it's bringing everyone together.
0: Saba, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, We know it's early there on the West Coast, but we really appreciate it.
2: It's my pleasure, and thank you for focusing on what's going on in Iran right now.
0: Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Sefi Kogan. This episode is brought to you by AJC, the American Jewish Committee. Our producer is Alex Zeldin. Our sound engineer is Scott Reitherman. Tune in next week for another episode of AJC's Passport.